0: Well, if you'll take oh, I'm ready to sing again, but we need to do our Bible reading, so let's do that. If you'll take your Bibles, we're gonna read the last portion of the book of Acts this morning. If you'll turn your Bibles to Acts chapter twenty-eight. We'll begin reading in verse fifteen we'll read to the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 28, beginning verse 15. Now I'll be reading, As is my custom out of the New King James Version, God's word declares, And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Api Forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself With the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there's no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect... We know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Israel, the, through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. We have an opportunity this morning to really see a conclusion to a theme of Luke, and we're going to tie this all together a lot more in summary next week as we finish our study in the book of Acts. But this morning we want to take some time to look at this final uh, record of engagement that Paul has here in Rome. Uh, The evidence is that Luke was aware that that Paul had been released and it was written after Paul had been released from Rome prison. You might say, how do you know that? Well, Luke was able to say that Paul was there two years. And so that was there was a terminus to his time there in Rome that he had two years there. And uh, then the indication is that he was released after that. And uh, and we do have a lot of church tradition that points to that. So this is not really the end of Paul's ministry, but it is the conclusion of our record of that in the book of Acts. And as he arrives in Rome, we saw last week the uh, encouragement, the, the, the taking strength uh, and courage from the response of the Roman church to the arrival of Paul, how precious and important the relationships that we have within the church universal are, as well as within the local church, and we were reminded of how many of these individuals Paul had known, had worked with, ministered alongside of, and had been praying for as they for him. And so we found, and we concluded last week in verse 15, that they came to meet us, and he thanked God and took courage when he saw them. And that is a wonderful description of what should happen whenever we encounter God's people. Is we should thank God for them and be encouraged. Be encouraged by them. Take courage from them. And the necessity of that for each one of us in our Christian walk and the value that is there that while we see many in modern Christendom seeking to devalue that, seeking to dismiss it as Uh, passe and having run its course that we find rather God still working in and through the church as her instrument as his instrument that she is the one uh, that we are to look for for encouragement for challenge, for strength Uh, as ministers one with each other and to each other by the grace of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we come now to Paul's arrival to Rome. Remember, he has now a parade. This is not just him and uh, the guards and other prisoners and his two companions. We now have an entire entourage of the Roman church uh, walking with him. And so their arrival to Rome was no small thing, really. It was very evident. It had been set up sometime earlier uh, that, remember that the uh, centurion, the cat that had uh, sent word and had a week preparation for the arrival of Paul to know what to do with him and where to take him and who to deliver him to. And of course it was not only Paul, but the other prisoners that were with him as well. And so we have the need to set that stage. And so the everything was prepared and as they traveled and arrived in Rome, uh, the transition of leadership from the centurion to the captain of the guard of Rome uh, is made and that prisoner transfer is accomplished very easily and in the midst of that we find in verse 16 that Paul's testimony still has an impact on prison guards going all the way back to Philippians, to the jailer there in Philippi, Um, we have his testimony uh, obviously being rehearsed by the centurion that would allow him to dwell by himself with a guard at the guard's house and not in the jail. And we're going to talk a little bit about the persistent testimony that sometimes is ours, but is actually shared by others. Before we do so, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your word before us and for its faithful testimony, its record of your working in your early church and your apostles particularly. Lord, we pray that we might not just see it as a historical document this morning, but as a reminder that you are still who you are, that you have not changed, you have not diminished, you have not gone on a long trip. Rather, that you are at hand and ready to work on behalf of your people who not only call themselves by your name, but walk in your way. And Lord, our prayers that we might be considered, reckoned, one of those. We might commit ourselves to that, not only this hour and the study of your word, but each day and each hour. To your honor, praise, and glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul has a testimony And he has rehearsed that before kings and before centurion soldiers. He has rehearsed it before barbarians. He has rehearsed it before some of the elite educated people um, in the Roman Empire. Uh, We find that there are times when he didn't have to open his mouth at all, though, because others were sharing his testimony. And really, here at the end, we want to talk about um, hearsay a little bit. I know that in a court setting, we downplay hearsay a lot, but it actually has a great influence and impact in the minds of people. What they hear said about things uh, may influence their ideas, their philosophies, and their uh, perspectives on issues, perhaps more so than even the facts, (laughs) uh, unfortunately. But that is the fact of life, and we can always... uh, Test that by simply seeing how willing people are to listen to gossip uh, compared to how willing they are to listen necessarily to a factual report. Um, we find that uh, what people hear about something is going to bring them to a point of making some determinations that may not necessarily be true. And yet they also sometimes can be beneficial. So we have to look at the faithfulness of those that are declaring this. And we have two different and very opposite examples before us. We have here the testimony of Paul, who because of how he behaved himself and because of his words, because of his actions, um, because of his influence on the centurion, the guards that were with him, and certainly by the working of God in his life, God gives him great liberty through the testimony of others who we have no indication at this point are really believers, but they cannot help but speak well of Paul. And so as the centurion delivers Paul here to the captain of the guard here in Rome, um, the, uh, the, the evidence is, is that he spoke so well of Paul that the Captain of Guard felt it unnecessary to incarcerate him into the Roman prison system. If you think that's a small thing, you need to go to Rome and visit some of these places, because they are not anything like what we have up in Santa Fe. Nothing, no TVs, nothing like that. Um, They are dangerous places that many died before they ever got to their hearings because of the conditions that were there that brought on ill health. And so we, we have excavated some of these places and we go down into them, and we see what they are like. They're dark, they're dank, they're, they're often full of disease and, and, uh, not a healthy place to be. And so we see this in the middle of verse 16 and we don't think very much about it, um, but in fact it is a very precious and powerful blessing that God has brought into Paul's life to preserve him to minister in Rome and beyond Rome after these two years are over. And we don't often think of those things um, because we're so disconnected from the culture of the day And the experiences of that day, of what life was like for prisoners. And so when Luke takes his time to communicate that Paul is not in the prison, he's in a person's house. He's under house arrest at a guard's home. And that may seem odd to you and I, um, but it wasn't really that odd. Remember in Philippi? Uh, what happened when the Philippian jailer went in, and after all of the bands have been broken, and, and he thought the prisoners had run off, and Paul and Silas say, "No, no, no, we're all still here. Don't kill yourself." Um, the guard had the privilege; he had the 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 right, if you will, within his realm of responsibility to take any prisoner out of there. And he took him to his own home, washed him, cared for him, fed him, took care of Paul and Silas. He and his family all believed were baptized that night. And so he had that capacity to be able to go in and do that. And so this is not unheard of, and it's it's, uh, a fairly frequently employed means of special prisoners that were likely to either not cause a problem or were very likely to be innocent. So Paul, based upon the testimony, what they have heard about him and how he has behaved over these few years at this point, including all of his time at Caesarea by the sea, um, is given this very beneficial result. And it's not just that he is not in that place, but in this place of relative comfort and provision. But it's also the access that it gives him for ministry. And now in this home, he is able to have anyone come and go that wants to. And in fact, we're going to find him very quickly calling people to come. In fact, it says, it says, after three days, he's there three days, he calls the leaders of the Jews together. He sends word to all the synagogues in Rome, and there are likely many of them, and he calls their leadership together. These would have been the, the rabbis of and the Levites of the uh, people of Israel uh, there in Rome. And he calls them together, and he has the liberty to invite them to this home and where they're going to have a meeting, and they're going to have a meeting from morning till night. This is a pretty significant council he's convened. And he has the liberty to speak his mind and to share his full testimony. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that here shortly. Um, we talk about the other extreme of hearsay uh, and its impact and influence. But we find that he has um, this Access. and we find him defending himself to them and of course they are ignorant largely of his particular case but this isn't just one event that he's allowed to do this with people of influence in the community uh, in, the, in the Jewish community at least but it says in verse 30 he dwelt two years his own rent house and received all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God, and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. This is incredible liberty that he had to minister. Here, as a prisoner of Rome, um, however long they stayed in the guard's house, we're not sure, but eventually he was willing even to rent a home, and the probability is within, uh, maybe even one up against the guard's house, so it was in close proximity, he received all who came to him. That there was this capacity for ministry, even in this state of being a prisoner of Rome, to minister. And not only do we have him receiving those within the community, uh, both believers and unbelievers, to minister there, and to speak with great boldness, and and the Jews can't stop him because they have no jurisdiction there. He's a Roman prisoner. The Romans aren't inclined to stop him. Um, He has benefited the country of Rome. uh, And again, his testimony of how he behaved himself uh, is not lost on Rome. The word of a centurion, in your favor, is a very powerful thing. And it was just being strengthened day by day, week by week, month by month, year by by year, that this is a man that can be trusted. And this is what it means to establish a reputation. And I believe earnestly that we are called as a people of God to establish such a reputation among those that we live within our very home, within those we have intimate contact with and in the larger community that we are known as trustworthy individuals, those who will stand for truth, those that will be godly in a godless world, those who will be honest in a world of deception and lies, those who will work hard compared to others that simply want a paycheck and don't want to work at all. That we have this testimony, this regard of the community because of the manner of our living and the manner of our speech and the manner of our attitudes, that there is a reputation that precedes us, that envelops us in our relationships even with people we've never met. So the question is, what do people say when they're talking about you? Whether those people are relatives, neighbors, coworkers, fellow students, what do they say about you out there? What is your reputation that precedes you wherever you go? And sometimes those are near people, close at hand, that are talking about you, um, I was harassing my gals at the house last night. I said, okay, what did you say about me during the ladies' retreat? I wanna, Let's just make sure we got, didn't say anything embarrassing. There's plenty of embarrassing things to say about me. Because I always know that somewhere along the line with that many of my kids and wife there that something's going to be said, and my church family there. So that's why I think I should be invited to all ladies' retreats just to quell that. What are they saying about you? What is your reputation? If I go to your employers, what are they going to say about you? And I've had that opportunity to do with some of you. Uh, some of you I'm not allowed to because it's secret. But um, <laughs> for some of you have been able to talk to your employers. I've been able to talk to you, some of your coworkers, to some of those that are above you, and, and to hear them s- describe that as a joy to say oh we love having this person work here they do great work and and to hear a testimony i love to hear the testimony similar to that of joseph that a recognition that we are blessed by the presence of this person in our company that's your reputation and it should be well connected to your relationship with jesus christ For it is out of that kind of a reputation that comes the opportunity to preach the kingdom of God and teach the things concerning Jesus Christ with all confidence. It gives us that standing before individuals once they recognize that we are not just self-interested and hopefully that we are servant-minded, um, that we are interested and in that we're going to do things right and above board and godly, that we're going to, we're going to be uh, dependable and forthright, that all of these facets of our life, that as they come to know that, give us an opportunity, give us even almost a right to then be able to preach the kingdom of God. And we've seen this previously in the book of Acts, and I've spoken to it. And as I said, this week and next week is really summarizing many of the themes that Luke has pressed throughout the book written to Theophilus. And so Paul rehearses again his case, and he's very careful to, uh, in the midst of this, to establish his rapport with, the Jewish leaders, he has a rapport with the Roman officials, uh, and in that rapport he has been given many blessings in the midst of that, which he's going to use to God's glory. But now he wants to build rapport with the leaders of his people, uh, Israel, in the land, in the city of Rome. And he wants to be very careful to communicate to them that what's going on here is not him putting Israel on trial. He's not here to delineate between uh, himself and the Jews of Jerusalem, but rather that it became necessary for him to do this um, because of the attitude of the Jews in Jerusalem against him, not because of him being against them. And he draws this all, and remember we have a two-verse summary, well, four-verse summary, Um of his case, we have a four verses here by Luke, summarizing uh, a full-day conference. Okay, Morning till evening they went there with him. And we have just this as a description of what Paul said. Obviously, he said much more than this. In fact, sufficiently did he talk about the way of Jesus Christ That their questioning early on was, we have only heard rumors of this sect and can you tell us more about it? And we're going to, that's the other end of things, we're going to get to that. But we find him giving this representation and that I have called you here because I want to confront you with the hope of Israel for which I am bound in chains in the midst of all that he garners from his reputation and from his high uh, view in the Roman mind and, and the way they are treating him, uh, he wants to focus on taking whatever he has received to communicate, just as he has done all the way through his ministry, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, the hope of Israel. Our message is one of hope. And that word has been sorely used in these days. And so we have somewhat abandoned it a little bit because of the way it has been abused in the political realm um, and hijacked, if you will. But the fact is, is that the hope for Israel, which we are going to be starting our study in two weeks uh, looking at, um, this hope for Israel that the prophets and the, that Moses all spoke to, and this is all that Paul encompassed in his sharing. Uh, is, here's what Moses spoke of. Here's what the, the, a prophet to come. Here are you him. Uh, here's what all the prophets focus in on. And this is the hope of Israel. And that is not a political statement. It is not an uh, economic condition. The hope of Israel is her deliverance. It is a person, it is Jesus Christ. And he is prepared to introduce them to this, and they recognize it. And their response uh, shows that they are very inquisitive, um, but they're coming at it from a negative position. And look with me at the other end of hearsay. It says in verse 22, We desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So here's a man who is benefiting from his reputation among the Romans and having this kind of access and opportunity to minister, having been in Rome only three days, and he is confronted now with another kind of reputation, another example of hearsay. And I want you to look at the verbiage that's used here um, and to just see how adamant it is, how, uh, how sure it is. It says, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. And the question is, do they really know all of this? <laughs> Can they really declare this, that this is something spoken against everywhere everywhere? Is this something that they truly know? But they declared adamantly that this is in the Jewish community that the, what they have heard, what has, what has come and, and been brought to Rome through the travels of Jewish um, people um, coming out of not only Israel but other areas um, of the Roman world, uh, from their perspective, what they have heard about the way of Jesus Christ is all negative. And what they have been told is that everywhere you go, the Jews are against this sect, that, that it is being repulsed by the Jews it is, and what a variation from what we just heard from James uh, a few years earlier that uh, myriads of Jews were coming to know Christ, but were also zealous for the law. Well, here in Rome, that word hadn't gotten to them. Um, and if you think that there is not selectivity in gossip, you are wrong. That is not the source of your best information. And so, what they have heard is from a select group, those that are going to be frequenting the synagogue, coming in, and they are going to declare that the sect called the Way of Jesus Christ, those who are, and they wouldn't have used Christ because that's referring to a Messiah. The way of of this Jesus um, is bad and it is doing evil. And so it is being spoken against. And we find that what Paul's confronting is not a neutral audience, it is an audience that has already been conditioned by people who come in and will speak evil of the way of Jesus Christ. And I will contend with you that this kind of audience is pretty similar to the audience you are really encountering. Well, what we are encountering in our society is not a neutral audience. It is not people who have no connection with it. Uh, by and large, my contention is, is that, based upon how the media has gone the last at least 30 years, we'll say 20 or 30 years at least, since I was a young man, Um, has portrayed uh, fundamental Christians, those who believe in the fundamentals of Christ, of the way, um, who are radical followers of it and believe in the inerrancy of Scripture and the authority there and the literal interpretation of God's Word. And yes, our government has identified anyone that holds to that as potential terrorists. And that is how they identify radicals is do they believe that in the literal interpretation of the Bible? So welcome to the family of fundamental terrorists, apparently, because we believe in that in the in the literal interpretation of God's word instead of the figurative interpretation. So we are confronting a a society that has been heard, has been bent, as if their own evil heart wasn't already bent against the message of Christ. They have this hearsay that is seldom born out of the truth, but of taking... Occasional instances of those that are not of our number and emphasizing them and considering the rest that are seeking to live out their faith consistently with the Word of God as irrelevant. And this is to whom we come with the gospel who have heard largely evil things. They have heard things against it. And it's phenomenal the tenacity with, with, with which they cling to those things they have heard against Christianity. Back in the day, there it was pretty limited, uh, frankly. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, just 50 years, years ago. (laughs) Yeah, I'm older than that. So um, I was growing up then. Uh, We were largely concerned about statements like, oh, I would never go to church because it's just full of hypocrites. Uh, And uh, that was largely one of the biggest statements made, which I seldom hear anymore, by the way. I seldom hear that statement made to me. Um, Maybe you have, um, but I don't hear that anymore. Uh, because we have uh, a plethora of other reasons and things that have been said against our faith um, in the community around us. But what we find is them clinging to these statements. But every now and then you will hear someone of this quality who will say, we want to hear from your mouth what you think. We've heard what they say. What, Since you are one of the main leaders of this sect, let's hear what you say. For yourself, what do you think? And here is a genuine opportunity. And this is what we look for. This is what we... Are, should be prepared for, and, and when the Bible says that you should be ready to give an answer of the hope that is in you, um, the expectation is that when you are confronted with someone who says, what is it you believe, that we're prepared to express the hope that's in us, that we're ready to communicate it, and Paul here is, I'm sure, <laughs> about ready to jump out of his skin uh, to... To testify and to share, uh, what is going to uh, what, what's going to be his message to them? Spoken against everywhere. Oh, but I'm going to speak to it from not my opinion. They ask, "What do you think?" And people will ask you that, what's your opinion? And frankly, your opinion isn't relevant, and it's not going to change them my opinion, isn't going to change anyone. And that's why social media doesn't work because everything written there, most people view as your opinion. And your opinion is of equal or lesser weight than their opinion. Correct? Let's be honest about it. So they ask Paul, what do you think? Paul says, well, let's take a little bit more. Let's set up a day and let's go at this. And from the law of Moses and all the prophets. He describes and declares to them the truth. And this is how we engage the world. First, with a right reputation. And then, not with your opinions, but with God's word. They might ask what you think. You need to ask them, you need to tell them what God has revealed. And now, that has a whole different uh, requirement. It has a whole different expectation now. Once we've gotten out of the realm of opinion and gotten into the realm of revelation, now we must bring them to decision. But I would contend with you that it is out of reputation that the opportunity for us to share this testimony, to share revelation comes. That if we do not have the testimony, if we do not have the reputation, that the opportunity will not be afforded us to share not just what do I believe, but what does the Bible say? And that's what we need to confront our world with. Because there's a lot of people out there who call themselves by the name of Jesus who say a lot of things. Who think a lot of things who have some weird opinions. Right? I think we're all confronted with them. I mean, we we've seen some of them, and and, and it's nothing new, by the way. And if you're here on Sunday nights in our study of Galatians, those people had some really weird ideas that weren't biblical. Well, I'm not I don't want you to go out there and say what you think and what you believe. I want you to go out there and communicate God's word. Well, here's what God said. Here's what God said. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what God said. Oh, that we would have a handle on the scriptures that we could lead people into it to a knowledge of the truth. The truth is not what you think. The truth is what God has revealed. The truth is not what you believe. The truth is what God has revealed. His word is truth. And so when people ask your opinion oh, please, have a Bible verse somewhere floating around in your brain because you have read it and meditated on it and memorized it, that you can confront people with revelation instead of with the words, well, I think. Notice, they ask Paul, what do you think? And Paul says, well, I'm going to persuade you from the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till night, I'm going to persuade you. I'm not going to persuade you with what I think. I'm going to give you your own scriptures. And I'm going to declare to you, Jesus Christ. I'm going to describe for you the kingdom of God and, and we're going to look into God's word and, and you're going to see it. And 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 now you're going to have to come to a point of decision because now it's no longer my opinion and your opinion that's on equal setting because I'm not sharing my opinion. I'm sharing thus says the Lord. What are you going to do with it? Once we get into thus says the Lord, and remember, you know, we're not walking up to strangers and bashing them over the head with it. Um, you know, thus says, you know, and, and I've had a few occasions that happen in different public forums. And and I'm not saying that all public Forms like that in the marketplace are wrong. Um, but when we confront people with no, rep- with no rapport, with no <sighs> reputation, we have a difficult time calling them to decisions. And Paul here takes this opportunity and he's going to extensively share not what he thinks. He's going to share with them from the law of Moses and from the prophets what the kingdom of God is about. He's going to share with them the message of Jesus Christ. He's going to share with them the need for a Messiah who would suffer and die and then be raised from the dead. He's going to share all of that He's also going to share at the end of this uh, further revelation that if you reject this, you're rejecting God. And just because you've heard it doesn't mean you have heard it. Just because you see it doesn't mean you're going to see it. Just because... You've been exposed to it doesn't mean that you have received it. But our responsibility is to expose them to the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. and So we testify to something that maybe we have not seen and yet we have a faithful record here and we point people back to God's word and back to God's word. And I'm not a big one on evangelism methods and... Uh, evangelism uh, package deals. Um, and I was exposed to those a lot as a young person. And I was like, oh man, I'll, which one do I use? Do I use Evangelism Explosion? Do I use this? Do I use. And uh, the way the master, wh- which one do I use? Which one's the best? You know, which one? All right, which one leads the most people to Christ? Let's just. I'm not a big proponent of those, and you don't hear me teaching them. Um, But I am a big proponent of you knowing God's word and memorizing God's word and taking a Bible and putting it into people's hands and saying, why don't you read this? One of the ways that we were instructed to do in our ministry at the Winter Olympics in Utah um, was to have a copy of God's word and we had a series of verses Underline, and we were given the series that they were asking us to do and and, uh, what we are told is to, if they're English speakers to turn our Bibles over to them and ask them to read it. And then ask them to tell us what did that say. And confront them with the Bible. Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. And whether it's the roman road or or whatever it is that we confront them with and let them read the bible just turn it around and say what does that say because this is god's word this isn't my opinion what does that say what does this verse over here say it says everyone's a sinner and the wages of sin are death all sin falls short of the glory of god what do you think that means to you it means we're all bad I'm not saying that. That's what God says. And you understood it. So it's not my opinion. Um, It's revelation. And this is what Paul does. They ask, what do you think about this sect? We've heard some bad things against it. And I guess everyone everywhere, every Jew everywhere is against it. And Paul doesn't make this a matter of Hearsay and of opinion and of what one guy thinks versus what another guy thinks. He makes it a matter of revelation. And when we bring it to that level now, we can bring people to make a decision. Some were persuaded and some disbelieved. And apparently, others were still up in the air. And in the midst of arguing, Paul says, "I've given, fulfilled my responsibility to you, and as we have heard him do over and over again throughout the book of Acts, now that you have access, because you guys have the scriptures." Now that you all have heard it, and now you can debate it till you're blue in the face with each other, um, but I'm not into that. I'm not going to participate in that. Um, I'm going to go to the Gentiles because they will hear it. And you just wonder if there was a guard and his family off in the kitchen there in the other room They were going, Yeah! they hear about the hope of Israel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and eternal life in the kingdom of God and the forgiveness of sins do not underestimate those who are overhearing you talking to someone else about the law of Moses and the prophets, God's revelation Paul has a confidence because of his experience of the Gentiles, they will hear it. They have been cast down into the abyss and the mire of the hopelessness of the so-called gods of the Greek and Roman pantheon. And we have been trodden under by their very weak and very human-like deities that have accomplished nothing on their behalf. And we, too, have around us such individuals who are ready to hear it. So I call you, and I believe out of this testimony we have a calling to have a reputation that goes before us of people who hold to the truth not just talk the talk but that we walk it, live it, that it has captivated our lives, it defines us. That when anyone speaks of you, they cannot help but very quickly speak of your relationship with Jesus Christ or at least with your relationship with religious things or with righteousness and truth. And out of that reputation, that we lay hold of the opportunity it affords us to not share your opinion as though it mattered, but to share God's revelation that they might come to a day, point of decision in their lives. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for the testimony of Paul. That didn't always need to even come out of his own mouth. Lord, our prayers that we might similarly have such a reputation in our community of faithful individuals who are, can be relied upon, who are honest, trustworthy. Lord, help us not to squander such a reputation, but use it to your glory. Help us not to think that because we possess such a reputation that therefore we have ideas that need to be heard. But rather, Lord, help us to recognize the need to introduce your revelation at every opening that such a reputation would open for us. or give us the wisdom To bring people to the knowledge of your word. To seek to persuade them of your son and what he has done for them as well as for us. And Lord, we know that the hearts of men, the condition of man, and the circumstances in which men are found have not really changed. And that you have not changed that there's no need for us to change our message or our method. So, Lord, give us a courage and a boldness to look not to men's ways, but to your revelation. To reach those around us for your kingdom's sake. We pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.